opportunity to be here this morning, to come before your presence and sing your praise, and to be encouraged and renewed again as we hear your word. May you bless our time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a couple of uh, reminders, announcements. Um, A week from Wednesday, not this Wednesday, but a week from Wednesday, we will be starting up Awana as well as our uh, junior high and high school ministries for the fall and the school year. So that's an exciting time, but we need some help. Um, You'll notice the Awana table out front. Um, There's a lot of opportunities to get involved. Uh, If you're not sure that you want to, like, you know, ready to be a leader or, um, you know, heading up an age group, there are lots of opportunities to just come and join for the verse uh, section time and listen to kids uh, reciting their verses. You know, it's, it's just a great opportunity to be together on Wednesday nights. We have supper, and, uh, and then Awana follows that, so uh, it's an exciting time. So pray for that. Um, think about whether this is something that uh, God would give you an opportunity to be involved in, and, and uh, maybe stop by and ask any questions you have in the table back there. So um, I think that's all I have for announcements. Steve, you can go ahead and come on up. I can attest as a person who's volunteered in Awana for a few years. Uh, It's a great ride. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Uh, Not without its challenges, not without work, that's true. But, uh, you know, you get to know some of these young people and you see God working in their hearts and it's really cool to uh, see the fruit of the labor that goes into that. So that's that's my own little personal plug. Uh, It's a great opportunity for us at Creekside as an outreach, uh, because I would say probably at least 85% uh, of the students that come on any given Wednesday night are not actually regular attenders at Creekside. So it's really an opportunity for us to share the gospel. And so I want to challenge you uh, to prayerfully consider being involved in that. I'm glad to be back. I want to extend a welcome to each of you if you're here this morning and you happen to be here if this is your first time at Creekside in person uh, or online, I guess, but in person, uh, there is a flap in the bulletin and we would invite you to fill that out and as you leave today on the welcome table out in the lobby, you would put that in the offering box. That's all we'd ask you to put in the offering box. If you're online, you can uh, check us out and you can email us uh, at www.creeksidedm.com. Okay, I think that's right. So let's pray. Father, uh, we we just got done singing about uh, building our lives upon uh, the love of God as a firm foundation. And I pray uh, that in my heart and that each of our hearts that our love for you would deepen and grow and that we would embrace what it means to walk with God not out of some sort of belief that we can please you in our own efforts, but in the realization that only by your grace can we enter into your family and only by your grace can we continue to pursue you. And we pray that you'd give us grace and strength to do that with diligence. Open our eyes, as the psalmist prays, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law and use that for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom as you transform our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
<clears throat> Seth Dillon, whom most of you wouldn't know, but uh, he's a guy, okay? Uh, he was interviewed by, or did an interview with a guy by the name of Joe Rogan, which was online. And in this interview, he was unabashedly declaring his defense for the unborn. And as a result of his unabashed defense of the unborn, he has been excoriated by a number of people and his uh, family and himself have been threatened with harm, uh, physical harm, not, not word harm, physical harm. Uh, they've been threatened. I was also reading this week and there was a gathering of a mainline denomination, Christian denomination, and in their a denominational meeting, uh, there was someone who uh, had the audacity uh, to say that, inst- uh, that instructing st- uh, those who are struggling with gender dysphoria to embrace their God-given sexuality is harmful. Now, I say these two, give these two examples, because I want you to see that outside the church, the case with Seth Rogan in his interview with, uh, with or Seth Dillon in his interview with Joe Rogan, I want you to see that there was hostility towards someone who was unabashedly uh, pro-life. I also want you to see within the church, there's this hostility towards people who would hold to a, an orthodox biblical position saying that uh, there there is a Bible verse and many others that declare that it's not a open-ended case about what Gender is gender. It's uh, God made them male and female. We live in a world in which to hold a position that is in the Bible is oftentimes disparaged, and it's difficult for us sometimes to remain optimistic that uh, that we're going to continue to be able to do what we do and live as we live and enjoy the freedoms that we freedom we enjoy and i see in the life of the guy that we're going to look at this morning in the old testament the guy by the name of hezekiah a similar circumstance he was in circumstances very similar to the ones in which we find ourselves and if you have your Bibles, or if you have your uh, device, or if you want to reach under the seat in front of you and find Second Kings, in Second Kings uh, chapter 18 is where we're going to start. But Hezekiah faced widespread religious apostasy, okay? Uh, he was the king of Judah, which was the southern tribe of Israel, okay? There's two tribes, so... It's a little confusing as you read the Old Testament, but right now we're in a portion of the text where the kingdom is divided. There's the northern tribe of Israel and the southern tribe of Judah. And Hezekiah was the king of the southern tribe. And he faced widespread religious apostasy, but he also, within the people of God, but he also was facing a frightening military opposition by the king of Assyria. All right? And so in that, uh, in, in I look at, okay, it's very similar to us. We face opposition outside. We face opposition within the church. And given the mounting opposition, uh, we see from the life of Hezekiah that the God in whom we have just sung about building our life upon His love is a God who really does protect and provide for those whose hearts are truly His. I'm in 2 Kings chapter 18, and I'm actually, uh, now if you looked on your notes, okay, here's a little proviso. 
if you opened your bulletin and you saw the outline, you probably freaked out, all right? Because uh, it's uh, two-sided, uh, it's full, okay? So little little proviso here, a little warning. Uh, we're not covering all that today, okay? Uh, it's kind of like a game day decision, uh, but uh, we, you know, this, who, who's, who's playing and who's not playing? Well, it's a game day decision is that I'm not covering all that. Because going from chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 20, verse 7, in one sermon is too much for me. And it's, uh, well, I could do it, I think. But I think it would be way too much for, for anybody else to, to try to actually absorb it. So we're going to cut it in half, okay, or kind of do that. Uh, so I'm going to read just through verse, uh, verse 12 of uh, chapter 18, and then I'll try to fill in the blanks as we go along. Okay, chapter 18, verse 1. Now, it came about in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. Okay, so you got two kings. Hoshea is the king of the northern tribes of Israel, and you got Hezekiah, who's the king of the southern tribe of Judah. Okay, just so you are there. Now, verse 2. He, that is Hezekiah, was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now, David wasn't his father, it was his ancestor, okay? So that's typical in the Old Testament. Verse 4. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for, for until those days. The sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan, <clears throat> a bronze thing, Okay. Verse 5, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord, he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Now it came about in the fourth year of Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria besieged and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they captured it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which is the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was captured. And the king of Assyria carried away, carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and put them in Hala and, and on, the, on the Habor and river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they would, not, they would neither listen nor do it. I'm going to keep going. Verse 13. Now, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver which is found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Then the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaras and Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a large army to Jerusalem. So they went up and came to Jerusalem. 
And when they went up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway of the fuller's field. And when they called, the king, they called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the house of Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What is this confidence that you have? You say, but they are only empty words, I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Now behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now therefore, come, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses, if you're able to, on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. I'll stop there. So, it's quite a lengthy text. I could keep going. You know, we're going over through chapter 19. It's a lot here. But here is what I want to begin with. We see in, in Hezekiah's example, in 2 Kings chapter 18, beginning with verse 1, all the way through chapter 20, verse 7, three activities that mark out, that, that set apart those with a heart whom the Lord hears and a heart whom the Lord helps. And the first mark we see very early in the text that I read, is that we would exercise a reverence for the Lord. Now, I'm going back to chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. Hosea, who is the king of Israel, Hosea had had apostatized. He was a wicked guy, and he turned the people away from God. And as a result of that, the people of Israel went into captivity. Look at chapter 18, verse 11. Chapter 18, verse 11, it says, Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away into exile to Assyria. All right? Now, Hezekiah, who's the king of the southern tribes, was the son of Ahaz, who was a nasty guy. Okay? His dad was a a nasty guy. And because he was a nasty guy, and he reigned in Judah, and here's the summary of Hezekiah's dad. Here's what actually I think it's Ezra in Second Chronicles chapter um, 28 says this, verses 19 and 25. For the Lord humbled Judah, that's the southern tribes, because of Ahaz, king, now it says king of Israel, but it's, it's the king of the Jewish people in Judah. For he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord and provoked the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. So here we have Hezekiah, the king of the southern tribes. He's facing the enemy of Assyria to the north, okay, a real military enemy, and he's facing apostasy from within. The people have turned away from God. And he's 25 years old. And now he's king. And he's a 25-year-old king faced with this, and what we see immediately in the text of chapter 18 is that reverence for God ruled in his heart. His dad was an apostate. His dad was a wicked guy. 
And here he is at 20. I don't know how this happened other than the grace of God. That here he was, he, he apostles, and it ruled in his heart as it should, reverence for God, rule in all of our hearts if we name the name of Jesus. The reality of our reverence is seen through his example in a couple of ways. First of all, Hezekiah challenges us to emphasize personal purity. Look at verse, 3, verse, eight, verse 3 of, of chapter 18. And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. Now there's a parallel, Second Chronicles chapter, uh, beginning with verse uh, chapter 29 through chapter 32. And we could also go into Isaiah chapter 37. We'd see a similar parallel here. But in Isaiah, in Second Chronicles 29, uh, 2, it says exactly the same thing. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now what's the most, maybe one of the most famous stories you remember about David? Goliath, right. He fought Goliath in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And in that text, David's fighting against Goliath. He goes up against Goliath who is taunting the armies of the living God. And so it is David who stands up to defy Goliath because he is drawing upon the power of God and the person of God. He's concerned about God's honor. We see the same thing in Hezekiah. He did right in the eyes of the Lord in the same way that his father David had done, his ancestor David had done. Now, here's what's right. He did right in God's eyes like David, which was the opposite of what his father Ahaz had done. In Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 24, Ahaz had closed the temple doors. Okay? He'd closed them. He shut them. Uh, it says that, uh, that, moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, cut the utensils, uh, or he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. This is Hezekiah's daddy, was an apostate. Closed the doors of the temple. What does it mean to close the doors of the temple? It means to cut the people off from God. This is where God dwelt in their idea. This is where God's, God's presence was. He cut them off from the presence of God. His son. On the other hand, Second Chronicles chapter, chapters 29 through 30, Hezekiah does this. Hezekiah reopened, repaired, and he rededicated the temple. Now, um, that's a whole separate sermon, uh, but you could, we could go to Second Chronicles and I'm going to draw on it. But he, he reopened it, and he repaired it, and he rededicated it, and then he reinstated the Passover feast. To remind the people of God's passing over them and delivering them from Egypt. And he did all that to prioritize the pursuit of a relationship with God. Because see, Hezekiah realized we need God. Here we are, Syria to the north, apostasy within. What's the priority? Oh, well, we need a plan. Let's get a strategy. Let's, uh, let's get the greatest minds of the world together and we can figure out who, which politicians we need to put in place so that they can deliver us. No. We need God. We need the Lord's presence. So he would prioritize the pursuit of a relationship with God. And he would promote dependence upon God. 
reliance upon Him, not, not reliance upon ourselves. And so I'm just going to stop here. I'm going to say, okay, first question. How are we prioritizing personal and corporate worship and promoting dependence upon God in the midst of a world outside that is hostile towards us? And sometimes even within the church, there's friction and and dissent and corruption and apostasy. What are we doing? What are you doing? What am I doing personally to make my relationship with God the priority? Not, Not because I have to, not because the preacher said, but because we worship a God who loves us and He is worthy of our worship. What are we doing? I, I read that uh, 11% of Americans read the Bible every day. Maybe we should start there. <laughs> because it is the Spirit of God that uses the Word of God to make the man or the woman of God more like the Son of God. It is the Word of God that God uses to speak to our hearts. We say, well, I don't know, God doesn't talk to me. Well, if you're waiting for him to, you know, speak to you audibly, uh, you're going to wait a while, probably. Um, But he's given us his word. And in his word, he speaks to us. So do we put that first in our lives? Do we spend time reading, reflecting, and then saying, okay, I'm going to apply the scripture to my life? You know, I have a friend who's a pastor of a larger church, and he said that, they figure that if somebody comes to church twice a month, they're a regular attender. I mean, they're like, they're really on it, you know. Now, I don't say this because you have to be in church to be a Christian, because I think there are people who are in church who aren't Christians. So attending church is not just to be there. But if we love God and we're focused on worship, remember, it has cut them off from worship in the temple. And his son said, oh no, throw open the doors. We come to worship together. You read the Bible, you see that we do this together. And you can't love one another and pray for one another and care for one another and serve one another and stimulate one another to love and good deeds if you're never together. Worship. Do we make it a priority in our our lives? Are we worshiping by giving? Serving. Yeah, maybe you don't want to serve in Awana, but maybe you should. Maybe there's some other place you could serve. Maybe you're already serving, and that's cool. But are we serving? You know, it's really interesting. I've, I've, I've been on uh, several mission trips and things like that. And the best thing to, to, to help me, I think, to grow is getting the game. You know? I go, I don't know, I'm getting, you know, I, I need to exercise. Yeah, get in the game. That's the thing. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. It's true physically. Uh, in physics, it's true in our spiritual life. Think about this. Do we listen to podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, you listen to podcasts. So if you're under the age of 40, you listen to podcasts. If you're over the age of 40, you sometimes listen to podcasts. But what podcasts do we listen to? Podcasts that edify us? Podcasts that build us up? Or podcasts that just get us juiced up and mad? you know, and and ticked off at the world. Now, I mean, maybe sometimes we need to get a little shaken a little bit like that. And and look at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 18. I'm skipping over verse 4 intentionally, okay? So that's, I I didn't miss it. I'm coming back to it. 
He, that is Hezekiah, trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. That's taken in a lot of territory. There was no king like him who trusted in God either before him or after him. Hezekiah's trust is evidence that he pursued is evidence in the fact that he pursued these spiritual reforms, which is Second Chronicles chapters twenty nine through thirty. Even though they were unpopular, they must have been unpopular because remember his dad, his dad, uh, you know, they were just living the life, you know, riotous and crazy. There was idolatry, there was revelry, there was debauchery, and he came in and said, "Whoa, whoa, wait a second, we're going to put a hold of that ju- that junk. We're going to start worshiping God when it was unpopular." And then it says in verse 6 that he clung to the Lord without deviating. That was evidenced by, the text says, by his obedience because he kept the commands of God. I'm kind of blowing my mind as I, as I think about the fact that right after the, right after the Supreme Court decision, uh, the Hobbes decision, which, you know, basically overturned Roe versus Wade, there were pastors and pulpits proclaiming how terrible that decision was. Pastors and pulpits of Christian churches decrying the fact that the Supreme Court said that the states should decide whether or not we should murder babies in the womb. Now, why is that upsetting to me? Well, it's upsetting to me because these people were placing the prevailing social conscience above stated scriptural truth. Exodus says, Ten Commandments, you know what? One of them is, you shall not murder. Oh. You see, Hezekiah stood up. He trusted God. He clung to God. He didn't capitulate to the culture. He stood up and said, this is the truth of the Word of God. We are going to follow it. That, my friends, was reverence for God. Not seen by any king before him or any king after him. At least that's what the text says. He had the heart of his father David. And you know, remember, for Samuel 16, 7, God looks where? At the heart. Not just because, you know, Saul, he was a big studly dude. You know, he was a big tall guy, a good looking guy. He was the guy that all the people wanted. And David was kind of mealy mouth, uh, you know, kind of ruddy, it says in appearance. And he was just kind of a little farm kid from, you know, nowhere. And, uh, and God said, no, this is a guy because his heart is right with me. His heart is right. And see, so when we, we, we pursue purity, it is something we, we are actually active. It's, it's we're involved in it. We set priorities that make purity a reality in our life. That's what I see in the life of Hezekiah. The gangrene of godliness has so infected our culture that we fail to see that we have, we, we see, we have professing believers that are sanctioning sin. Hezekiah challenges us to emphasize personal purity. And the second aspect of that, the, the flip side of it is that he challenges us to eliminate impurity. That's verse 4. 
in chapter 18. So when, when we're pursuing righteousness, there's an active part in which we are pursuing it out here, but there's also a part in which we're shunning it. I wrote this down, it may not make sense to you, but purity pursues and purity eschews. It, it pursues and it puts off. So I asked myself, well, what did, what did Hezekiah put off? How do, we, how do we see that from the text? Verse 4, it says, He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. So here's what he did. He took bold action. He opened access to the temple, right? Uh, and, and, and he obliterated, so that was his pursuit, and he obliterated the idolatrous practices of the people. He just he destroyed them. The high places were the altars where they would offer sacrifices to the pagan gods. The sacred pillars and Asherah poles were outright idols that they worshipped, as was the bronze serpent, or the bronze serpent had become that. Numbers chapter 21, Moses, there was a, the people were sinning against God as they were leaving and wandering in the wilderness. They were sinning against God. And so God sent a plague among them. And, and then uh, out of compassion, he said to Moses, send up a bronze serpent on a, on a pole. And if anyone looks at the bronze serpent in, in faith, they'll be delivered from the plague. But they, you know, they decided, well, the object of grace became an object of worship. For hundreds of years. I mean, the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings are hundreds of years removed from Hezekiah. But the other thing is that this this snake on a pole served as a symbol pointing to the Son of Man. The Lord Jesus Christ would be raised up on a cross. And in the same way that those Israelites looked to that snake on a pole and were saved from the physical plague, anyone who would look to the Son of God who was raised up on the cross, who died on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins, they would be saved if they believed. This is John chapter 3, okay? I'm not making this up. Uh, It's John chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. The text says that you would believe you would have eternal life. Then and now rebellion leads to judgment. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, uh, verses 8 and 9, I think I had that, but maybe not. Okay, let me turn over. Yeah, there you are. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was against Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of terror and of horror and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity because of this. Because of what? Because of their sin. Sin leads to judgment, leads to wrath. And the temporal punishment that the people of Israel experienced because of their sin through captivity and through sword and all these plagues points us to the ultimate destruction that comes to all who reject God the Father and reject His Son Jesus, which is condemnation to spend an eternity, an eternal torment in hell, which is real. And the only way to avoid it 
look not at the snake, look at Jesus and believe in Christ, that his death on the cross paid for my sin and his resurrection proved his victory over sin and death and that turning from my sin and trusting in him, I can have new life and I will be delivered from that torment. And it's available to anyone and I invite you, if you've never done it, to put your trust or your faith in Jesus who died for you. His grace. Don't spurn the object of grace. Don't worship the cross. Worship Christ who was on the cross. No longer there. He's seated at the right hand of the Son, right hand of the Father. In Second Chronicles 29.5, uh, which again, I'm uh, hopefully, yeah. Then he said to them, listen to me, you Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the Lord, uh, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out of the holy place. Purity puts on, purity puts off. Consecration is a confession and a cleansing, a putting off of that which prohibits us from worshiping and following the Lord Jesus. Set yourself apart. Why the command to consecrate? Why this command given? In Second Chronicles chapter 29, verses 6 and 7, uh, the, the text tells us why we should put it off. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done evil in the sight of the Lord our God. And they have abandoned Him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and have turned their backs. They have also shut the doors of the porch and extinguished the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place to God, the God of Israel. You say, well, I don't know the Old Testament stuff, you know, the burnt offerings and sacrifices, a bunch of stuff. Just think of it. They stopped worshiping God. The things of God didn't matter to them. They didn't give a rip about it. They could care less. In fact, they turned their back on it. And that's why he says, you must consecrate yourself. You must set yourself apart. You must turn back to the Lord. The unfaithfulness and wickedness in their rejection of God is why they needed to consecrate themselves or they would continue to experience God's judgment. I see it. Widespread disregard for God's holiness permeates our culture. Just like it did then. I mean, think about the the realities of our culture and even in the church. The prevalence of promiscuous material (laughs) on every single form of media. You can't even use your computer in a normal, sent way. I mean, you, you don't have to look for perversion. Stuff pops up. It's like, where did that come from? Why am I seeing this? If you use any social media, you'll see advertisements that are deliberately enticing to your eyes, if you're a guy. Girls don't really give a rip about that stuff, but it, 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 uh, usually. But it's like, whoa, why am I seeing this? It's, it's the lack of holiness. It's, it's in our schools. It's in advertisements. The prevalence of profanity, the proliferation of dishonesty, perversion of gender and sexuality, it's all around us. Discarding, demeaning the holiness of God. There's a hospital in Boston. From 2017 to 2020, 65, they they performed 65 double mastectomies on minors. Minor girls. They're they're handing out chemicals that 
basically castrate young boys. Perfectly healthy people. It's from hell. It's right from hell. That's the culture we live in. You know, it's Europe is looking at the United States with regard to these things and saying, whoa, they've really gone off the deep end. Europe is looking at us and saying, we've gone off the deep end. When we become immune to evil, or we become immune to evil, when we see it as normal. Several years ago, I had a a farmer who uh, had dri- driven into town and he, he stopped in my office, which was always comical because that's what they usually did. They, they, were, they, were, they weren't busy, so they thought I wasn't busy, so they'd stop in. How you doing, Pastor? And uh, he walked into my, uh, and he was a hog farmer. He had a lot of hogs. And he came into my office with his chore clothes on and his chore boots on. And he sat down in the chair and I'm sitting there going, whew, he reeks. I didn't tell him that, but he did. He, his stench was like, you, it, it met you at the door. And you know what? He didn't smell it. Why? Because when we're saturated with the stench of sin, we don't smell it. We got to start looking, folks. We got to think about what Hezekiah called the people of Israel to do, the people of Judah, the Jewish people. When I say Israel, I'm saying Jewish people. We got to think about what what he did. Hezekiah's heart was this. His heart was the heart of the psalmist, David. (laughs) Psalm 73, verse 28 says this. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And I had to ask myself, is that true for me? Is that true for you? That the nearness of God is my good, that I'm concerned. See, Hezekiah propels God's people then and now to make a priority, to prioritize purity of devotion to God. And consecration, consecration requires confession. It requires us to commit, uh, to cleanse. So, I'm going to ask you just to take a moment. I appreciate the praise team asking us to do that too. I want you to think about it for a minute. A realignment of our heart priorities. So I just want you to stop right now and, and, and we're going to take a minute. What forms of rebellion, what forms of idolatry, what ways do I repulse God or revile God that I'm accustomed to that need to be confessed? What needs to be cleaned out in my life? Is it resentment? You're harboring bitterness? Maybe it's a problem with profanity. Criticism. Jealousy. Lack of forgiveness. A lust for power. Can't wait till I get that job. I'm going to make them squirm just like they made me squirm. You know, pride. And pride is, a, you know, it's kind of a catch-all category. You'd be surprised. I mean, I think pride is almost the root of almost every sin. Uh, it's just like, uh, you know, 
If you're critical, you know why? It's because you're proud. It's because I'm proud. If I'm jealous, well, probably because I, I'm proud. I think, well, I should have that. You have it. You shouldn't have it. I should have it. You know? If I'm greedy, I think I deserve it. And greed is a form of idolatry. I want others' possessions. Comfort is an idol. What did Jesus say? You want to come out? You want to follow me? Pick up, take up your cross and follow me. Oh, it doesn't sound like a, a day at the park. <laughs> what do you mean, Jesus? He says, no, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but I, I don't have any place to lay my head. So come come along. It's, it's, it's a party. Come on. Yeah, let's let's go. Oh, yeah, but you know, Jesus, it's air conditioning. It's nice in here. I like it in here. I got a cushy chair, you know, a big flat screen TV. I'm, I'm enjoying my time. I don't really want to get out there and talk to my neighbors about Jesus because that might take me out of my comfort zone. I don't really want to serve in Wanda because on Wednesday night there's a cool TV show on. I like watching that show. Can't DVR it because they don't have one of those. Can't afford it. We love our comfort. I love it, you know. <laughs> You know, I had to get up. To, I have to get up at ten fifteen to make it to church by ten thirty. I could sleep in. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've partied all night, so why would I want to go? I had to get up early. I tell that to your boss. Show up at ten thirty. How's that work for you? Not so good. What well, shouldn't? I mean, maybe it does. If it does for you, maybe all of us want your job. You know. Are we obsessed with social media? Yeah, we are. Parents don't buy your kids phones. Until they get to be like, you know, maybe 16. Why? Because they're just going to... They got stuff on the... They got stuff on their phone you would never let into your house. When I was a kid, anybody who called me, dad and mom, knew who called because they answered the phone. What do they want? Oh, I don't know. Can't hide it. Oh, now it's like we're on you. We got all kinds of stuff going on on this phone. Mom and dad don't know any clue about it. Well, if you want your kids to watch pornography and you don't know about it, fine, give them a phone. Maybe I went too far there, but anyhow, think about it. And while I mention it, pornography is one. You know, what are we going to cut off? What are we going to? So here's the deal. I want to take 30 seconds and I want you to just you and God do business. Say, Lord, what do I need to cut out? Or how can I consecrate myself? Name it as a sin. Ask God to forgive. And then what's the course of action that you'll help me keep from going down that road again I mean there's certain things that I know that I shouldn't watch on TV but you know sometimes I find myself I still do why because I'm not taking the right course of action and saying no and this is a daily thing so 30 seconds you do business with God
Father, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts that we might have the heart of Hezekiah who did what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. He removed the garbage from his life. He trusted you with all of his life and he clung to you as evidenced by his commitment to your commands. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 18, and the Lord was with him wherever he went and he prospered. Now, I'm not, this is not a prosperity gospel thing, okay? I'm not saying that you do exactly what God says. Uh, you're going to be wealthy and rich and healthy. And I hope you see that that's true even in Hezekiah's life because he, he didn't, he resisted the Assyrians and he took out some Philistines. That was all good stuff, but still, here he was. He was a spiritual giant, but next, what, what do we see that happens next? Even in our reverence and even in our awareness of the Lord's presence, sometimes we get slammed. Uh, we express reverence for the Lord. That's the first mark. And secondly, we express reliance upon the Lord. Uh, there's two circumstances in which we see that Hezekiah had or did trust the Lord. He didn't have to, but he did. First of all, in the fear of danger. This is beginning with verse 9 of chapter 18 all the way uh, through chapter 19, verse 9. And, and there are the circumstances. I'm going to lay them out for you, walk you through the text. So if you have your Bibles and stuff, be, let's go. First of all, what danger? <clears throat> what danger was he in? First of all, the deportation of Israel. And I read that, verses 9 through 12. Israel had to be deported, right? Because of their sin. So no big deal. Well, Israel's captivity created a lot of instability in the region. So just imagine this. Let's say that the North Koreans invaded Canada. And the North Koreans invaded Canada and they shipped a few Canadians over to North Korea and several North Koreans over to Canada. How would you feel? I'd get a little nervous if the North Koreans had invaded, or the Chinese or whatever, had invaded, you know, one of our military enemies had invaded the North. Little, little, little cautious here. Secondly, uh, we see that after uh, 10 years, Hezekiah rebelled uh, against Assyria. Uh, that's chapter 18, verse 7. And after 10 years, guess what happened? The Assyrians, in, Assyrians invaded Judah, verse 13. Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. The fortified cities, we're not talking about the ones in the open land that there's nobody, no walls around it. It was the fortified cities he took out. Guess which is the only city that he hadn't yet taken out? Jerusalem, where Hezekiah was. Okay, Getting a little nervous here. Uh, it, it, he was, he was, so what does it say in the text? This is kind of confusing. You go, well, what's going on here? I thought he resisted uh, Syria. Then Hezekiah, verse 14, the king of Judah sent to the king of Syria, Lashish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Wherever you impose, whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And so then he gave him a bunch of stuff from his own treasury and from the treasury of the Lord. And you're thinking, what a coward. Well, I wouldn't throw that stone at him. Because uh, I might be tempted to do the same thing. But what I'd invite you to do, we're not going to go there. I'm not going to go there because I don't have time. Write this down. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verses 1 through 8. Gives us a little extra background because I think what was going on is Hezekiah was buying time. He was appeasing 
and he was apologizing. His apology and his appeasement was simply to buy time so he could fortify Jerusalem against what he knew was going to be a coming siege. That's Second Chronicles 32, verses 1 through 8. It, it tells us that that's what he was doing. He was fortifying the city. Okay, so I think him giving them some stuff was to appease them, likely to buy time. His preparatory action, which we didn't read in Second Chronicles chapter 32, was had a priority on trusting God. Second Chronicles 32, 1 through 8. He was trusting God all the way. Uh, actually, I'm going to read Second Chronicles 32, uh, verse 7, and you'll get, a, you'll get a sense of it. 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because uh, the king of Assyria, nor because of all the multitude which is with him. For the one who is with us is greater than the one with him. Remember that. The one who is with us is greater than the one who is with him. Whether our enemy happens to be a military enemy, or, and some of you have this in your families, I think probably all of us do, a godless family member may be your enemy, may be hostile to your faith, hostile to the perspective of your faith, It might be a classmate that torments you. It might be a culture that sanctions murder of the unborn or promotes godless Marxism. That's what Marxism is, is godless, okay? Or supports the mutilation of minors and calls it gender affirmation. Or redefines marriage or perverts sexuality. Every believer, every one of us who names the name of Jesus can find comfort in Second Chronicles 32.7. The one who is with us is greater than the one who is with them. The enemy. Third, danger was the siege of Jerusalem. In verses 17 through 35, I read that the, the, the Rob Shaka came and he had this deceptive message that took many forms. How, he came up to Israel and he said, oh, you guys, you guys shouldn't trust in, in God. So he, he discounted the allies. He claimed that the ally of Egypt was incompetent, a broken reed. You know, if you stick your hand on it, you're going to stick yourself. And he claimed they served an incompetent God. I mean, look, look at all the gods of these other people. You know, they, they didn't keep them from us from attacking them and taking over, over their lands. Then he, then he made fun of Judah's abilities. Oh, uh, in verse 20, he says, You say, but they're only empty words, I have counsel and strength for war. <laughs> You do? Okay, well, here, we're going to give you 2,000 horses. And, and, and you find people to sit on the horses, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do battle. Like, I'm going to kind of even the score. I'll kind of make it fair. Mocking them, saying, you, you can't even do that. This is, remember Goliath taunting David? You, you come out here with like, a, like, am I a dog? You come out here to, with sticks to, to beat me? Like, he's, he's demeaning. And then he claimed divine activity. Look at verse 25. He says, God sent me. 
God told me to come here and, and take you out. So don't argue with God. Now think about it, folks. It's true, I think, that God's enemies often invoke Him as their ally in their adversarial assault on us. They, they claim that God is in favor of adultery. Well, you know, I, I, just, I just feel like God would, would want me to, to divorce my wife and marry this other woman. Like, on what basis? Like, like God sanctions murder in the womb. What? Like, like God supports homosexuality. Like, He's in favor of that. Now, and I want you to hear me say, when I say these sins, I'm not saying if people, they're, they're, God loves us, and He's willing to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I understand that some people have had an abortion, and that grieves me, and I'm not here to say, well, you're condemned to hell. No, God is forgiving and gracious and loving, and He wants you to experience His forgiveness and love. But they also say, well, well, you can't, you can't restrict my personal freedoms because God is love. I just said God is love. But God is also holy and just. And if I condone your sin, I condemn you to hell because we must repent and turn from our sins so that we can be forgiven. Rabshaka also defied Judah's authorities comically. The people in Hezekiah's upper echelons. He said, hey, would you please not talk to us in Judean, okay, Jewish. He was talking to him in Aramaic. But the people on the wall didn't understand Aramaic. Only the highly educated people understood Aramaic. But then they said, well, then he started talking in Judean. They said, no, 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 no. Please don't talk to him because then you're going to awaken within the people the reality. And then Rob Shaka says, yeah, they're the ones who are going to eat their own excrement because you don't Come along with me. I'm going to tell them. I didn't make that up. It's in, it's in the text, okay? Um, and then you see four times in, uh, in, in, in chapter 19. Four times. Or I'm sorry, chapter 18. In verse 29, in verse 30, in verse 31, in verse 40, in, in verse 32. He says, do not listen or do not let what Hezekiah says be listened to. Just ignore it. He, he, he's, he's saying you cannot listen to Hezekiah. He's undermining his in, encouragement that you should trust in God. You remember what happened to the, in the, to the Jewish people during World War II? What did the Nazis tell the Jews? They, they, they had captive. Oh, you know what? We gotta, we're, we're, we're taking you out of your homes because we have a nice place in another country. We've got a beautiful place. We're going to take you. You'll really love it. This is what Hezekiah is uh, hearing and his people are hearing, the Assyrians. We have a better land, a bed flowing with wine and honey and bread. and We got a better place for you. And you know what? You know what happened to the Jews? They got them trains to death camps. That was the better place that the Nazis were taking them. Hezekiah and his people had the same fate in front of them. He concludes by insulting God as incompetent. In verses 33 to 35, has any one of the gods, verse 33, of the nations delivered this land from the hand of the Assyrians? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim and, and, and uh, Hina and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria? No, they haven't. They haven't delivered them. And that's the problem. 
So it's bleak. Uh, he wanted to terrify him, and he did. <laughs> verse uh, At the end there, verse 36 and 37, the people came who were the emissaries for the king, and they said, it's bad. They tore their clothes, and they were in abject humility because of it. The situation was bleak, and the temptation to bargain was great. Some of you have a bleak situation. If you don't now, you might. And it gets tough. Think about the people of Judah. Okay, at best, what would happen? We'd be subjugated, enslaved. (laughs) At worst, we're going to starve to death or be slaughtered. Doesn't sound very good. Bleak as it may appear when your children are rebellious. When your parents are obnoxious. When your employer is unjust. When the state infringes upon your religious liberties. When there's such a moral degeneration in the culture that you'd lose your brain. We can trust in this, that God is in control. He who is with us is greater than he who is with them. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to pick up next week. But as we prepare our hearts to take the elements of communion, I want us to be reminded of this. One way to promote worship, personal worship, and corporate worship, sincere worship of the Lord, is to reaffirm our reliance upon God, which these elements remind us of. He shed His blood and His body was broken so that we could be saved. And we worship Him in spirit and in truth and gratitude for what He's done for us. And we remember that His love for us compels us to do the same. It is His love for us that motivates us to live with reverence. It's His love for us that motivates us to live with reliance because He can be trusted. Greater is He who is with us than He who is with them. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your love, Your grace, and Your mercy. I pray that you would work in my life, in each of our lives, that we would pursue you in our relationship with you, that we would put off what stands in the way of you, and that we would learn by your grace to rely more faithfully and consistently upon you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The moon and stars, they went. The morning sun was dead. The Savior of